Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We confuse this word law and legalism as if they're the same thing and they're not. God gives laws because he's giving boundaries for how God's people were to love him. There are some strong parallels that can be drawn between a marriage relationship and the relationship we have with God. That might seem strange at the outset, but as a marriage is a covenant relationship, so too does God have a covenant relationship with us. He desires that we should enjoy a loving fellowship with Him, but not only does He desire it, He's made it possible. Tonight, Dr. Corbett explores going deeper with God. As I was going through my daily readings yesterday morning, I came on this verse out of 1 Chronicles 16 11, I thought that is great. I don't know if you need this, but I need it. Seek the Lord and his strength and seek his presence continually. That's a, a celebration song of David when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And I thought that is a great verse. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word now, I pray that you would indeed strengthen your people I pray, Lord, that we might know your presence continually, as this verse says, that, Father, your people can walk in your presence and be strengthened. And I pray, Lord, that as we open your word now, you would open our souls to receive it and help me not just to preach but to pastor through the ministry, not just the teaching, the ministry of your word. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at the major themes of Jeremiah and I have shared with you many times that I, I find Jeremiah to be one of the most inspirational guys in the Bible and there's a reason for that. He, he started off as a young man. I came to Christ as a relatively young man. Although raised in a religious home, Jeremiah was the son of a priest. I was raised in a church-going home but the penny didn't drop, so to speak, until I was in my teen years when I realised that I was a sinner who needed a saviour. And I came to that point of recognising that Jesus Christ was that saviour. And so there's a lot of things that I identify with Jeremiah and he as a young 13, 14, 15 year old young man began taking up the call of God on his life as we'll, we'll begin to see some of that call on his life as well. And this, uh, this is looking at one of the, the major themes in the book of Jeremiah. And, and I trust that, that you appreciate what we're, what we're going to look at. This is, let us go deeper with God. So here's my question as we have gone through the first 49 chapters or so of the book of Jeremiah. It's, the, the question is, why did... God raised up the prophet Jeremiah. Why? Why Jeremiah? Why didn't he just get, one, get a hold of one of the priests already or, or the king or, or some of the officials of the city? Or, but why Jeremiah and why? Why? Well, we, we can find the answer in the opening chapter of the book of Jeremiah. And I was... Uh, my... My thought about this was peaked when I read the latest Eternity magazine, the Eternity newspaper, when Tim Costello, in his article there, as you'll see, as we've got, I think, some copies around, 
Tim Costello, his opening line is, I'm sick of Christians being so negative and telling everybody what they're against instead of what they're for. And my response to Tim Costello, and if you see him, you can tell him this was my response. He'll probably go, Andrew, who? And uh, my response is this, I'm sick of people criticising Christians who are so negative toward Christians when Christians are negative about what we should be speaking against. Well, let's just close in prayer. And, and the reason is because I know, I've, I hear people say this, you Christians are always telling us what you're against, you're never actually telling us what you're for. And my, my response is quite simple, that's because there's a lot of stuff we should be against. There's a lot of stuff happening in society where we need to be the party poopers. We need to say it's not right. It's not right to exploit a woman's body in order to make a Hollywood movie. I mean, the whole Me Too campaign was, what a blooming heck joke is that? They, women actresses turning up in these slinky outfits, standing in front of the Academy as they're receiving their Oscars, telling the world how, how bad it is that women are exploited in movies. If I'm not mistaken, you're the one who took your clothes off, and not that I, so I'm told. And this is a joke. And we as Christians, we should be against things that are wrong. And as in our home groups, we've been looking at the 27 imperatives for developing a community of believers. The first one is let love, uh, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. In fact, the ESV says abhor what is evil. And if we abhor what is evil, we will do what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did during the Second World War, the events leading up to the Second World War, when as a 26-year-old young man, he got on Deutsche Welle Radio, the, the, the ABC equivalent in German radio, and criticised the Chancellor of Germany, Adolf Hitler, for what was an atrocious campaign against Jews. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran minister, copped enormous criticism from other Lutheran ministers for doing that. And I think, good grief. There are times when we need to be very, very clear, this is what we are against. We should be against children being exploited. We should be against the, 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 the insanity of claiming that a human embryo is not a human. It's a what embryo again? It, we, we need to be very clear that certain things in society are not right. So, so why did God raise up Jeremiah? Well, you read the opening chapter and the very first thing we are told is a negative aspect. Jeremiah, this is your ministry. You're to do this, you're to decry this negative, you're to do, 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 do. Let's have a look at that. We're in chapter 1 and verse 10. This is what God says. See, I've set you this day over nations. And over kingdoms, note this, to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow and to build and to plant. Notice the negative things that Jeremiah was called to do. He was called to pluck up, to break down, destroy and overthrow. I've discovered that if you, want a if you don't want a backyard full of weeds, you need to marry someone like Kim. And secondly, you need to poison those things then when that doesn't work you need to take your husband down to Bunnings and buy a rotary hoe and you need to hoe those things into the ground and dig them up 
pull them out, break it down, and then sow good seed in there. But you can't sow the good seed while the weeds are there, despite what Jeffrey told me yesterday. You can't do that. You need to get... And Jeremiah had to do the same thing. There were certain things he had to pluck up, he had to break them and destroy them, so that the good could happen. So there was the positive aspect, and we saw it in that verse, right? We saw that God also said, it's then that you can build and you can plant. And I hope as a church that you recognise that when we say certain things like pornography, certain things like abortion, certain things like sex trafficking, certain things like child exploitation, child pornography, are wrong. Not, you're not going to leave here wondering. It's wrong for any Christian in this room, and I was going to say Christian man, but I've discovered that this is a problem that blights women as well. So if you hear my heart here, if there's any Christian who's entertaining internet porn, you're doing something that breaks God's heart. Please, stop. Because while that is in your heart, the good things that God wants to put into your heart are going to be choked by what Jesus said are the weeds of this life. Now why? Why did God want Jeremiah to pluck up, to tear down and destroy, and then to plant and to build? Why? What, what was it he was actually to plant and to build? Because, here's why. Because the nation of Israel was in a special relationship with God, and yet they weren't representing that relationship well to the world at all. And the heart of God was to be known by all people, not just Jewish people, by all people. Israel was called, the Isaiah the prophet tells us, to be a light to the Gentiles. Not a light to themselves, a light to the whole world. And yet, because of what we see in the book of Jeremiah, where he decries their idolatry, he decries their immorality, and he decries their ignoring of God's word, their ignorance. The world couldn't see who God was like. God was misrepresented to the world. So why did God want Jeremiah to be negative and positive? It was so that the world might come to know who God really is. That they might come to see that God is, as Amanda said, incredibly beautiful, incredibly wise, incredibly good. We read this, that there are lots of things you could know, and Jeremiah says this from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Jeremiah 9.23 and the next verse, verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices, look at these beautiful words, steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's two words that I think are interchanged unnecessarily, perhaps to the detriment of both of the words. And it brings a lot of confusion, especially for Christians, it brings a lot of confusion. And the words are relationship and fellowship. Here's the beautiful thing about what Scripture says happens to us when we surrender our life to Christ, which I'm going to suggest to you is only made possible 
because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. In other words, you don't wake up one morning and go, oh, I think I'll get my act together today. Might even become a Christian. I don't think that thought just pops into your head. That is a work of the Holy Spirit and it actually takes a process of time. And when that happens and we do surrender to Christ because the Holy Spirit enables us to and we give our life to him, we are, the Bible describes it, and well, Jesus describes it as being born again. John the Apostle, in writing about it in 1 John, he describes it as God takes his seed and places his seed within us. And it's a very interesting Greek word for that word seed. It's the Greek word sperma. It speaks of new life, new birth. Something happens in us. It's not your decision that makes you a Christian. It's not your repentance that makes you a Christian. It's not even your faith that makes you a Christian. It's what Christ and Christ alone has done in your life. And he enables you to respond. So who gets the glory in that picture? The Lord does. God gets all the glory. So here's where some Christians who don't quite get that then think, if I have to do this, do this, do this, do this, to become a Christian, then maybe I can undo that and cease to be a Christian. And I think that that is not quite right. So the relationship I have with all four of my children was strained when three of them left home. I mean, praise God, by the way. I mean, hallelujah. But when they were under my roof, we saw each other every day. We... We spoke every day. We asked each other how we were going. We, we had, what, and here's the other word, we had, and Christians have made this into a cheesy word. It's not meant to be a cheesy word. It's meant to be a beautiful word. We had in my household at that time, we had fellowship together where we could talk, where we could share, where we could hear our highs and lows, where we could pray, literally pray with each other. And as a family, every mealtime, and we still do this with, with our one child at home, and we're about to adopt an, a German girl for two months, so we'll have another daughter with us for two months. Uh, we hold hands when we pray, and it's a part of the fellowship bond. But we often confuse fellowship with relationship, and here's why it's important. is because, for example, when my son Tyrone, who was up here last Easter, when he moved to Hobart, he didn't cease... To have a relationship with me the relationship he has with me and will have with me forever is a relationship of father and son there's nothing he can do to ever not be my son he is my son but because of distance we don't get to talk every day anymore we don't see each other every day anymore so our fellowship is not the same as it was when he was living under my roof. Does that make sense? It's the same with your relationship with God. Sometimes we, we use expressions like, my relationship with God just isn't what it should be. Do you hear how now I'm going to say, I know what you mean. What you mean is the fellowship that you maybe once had with God, you're not enjoying that level of fellowship now. And why is that? Because fellowship takes something to make it work, doesn't it? How does a relationship grow? I'm going to say it takes fellowship. 
And what does that look like? For any relationship to grow stronger and deeper, that is to develop its fellowship, delights must be discovered. I would say this to any young couple. I, I don't always say this in the marriage prep, but I think I'm going to. Shopping has its benefits. Especially when you don't buy much. But you walk into a, a furniture store because you thought you were going to walk past that furniture store when suddenly the hand you were holding goes into the furniture store with the words, let's have a look in here. Oh, okay. And in we go. And we spend the next 20, 25 minutes looking at rugs, as we did on Friday. And Kim's... Hours? Ten minutes. Sweetie, I don't think that helps your case. There's not a man in this room that says, oh, ten minutes looking at rugs, that's all right then. I don't think that helps. Anyway, we spent 35 minutes looking at rugs. We spent what felt like 35 minutes looking at rugs. And Kim goes, what do you think of this one? Uh, It's a rug. All right, what do you think of this one? Uh, That's a rug too. (laughs) And then we we slowly open it and there's this white shag pole thing and there's bits of, looks like someone slaughtered a sheep on it. There's blood, looks like blood. And Kim goes, oh, I'm liking this one. She has that kind of sense of humour, by the way. Open up and it's actually a flamingo. And the, the artist has done a red thing with the pink flamingo and... So oh, I really like that one. We'd have to put a rug on top of that one just to cover the flamingo because that would start conversations, that would. <laughs> You're not kidding. And then we come to, we come to this multicoloured rug, which, which um, I'm guessing hippies would have in the back of their combi van. And Kim goes, that's the one. That's the one. Now, I'm a man. I'm not looking at the rug. I'm looking at the bit of card stapled to the bottom left-hand corner of this thing. All, every man knows what I'm talking about. And I don't care how pretty that rug is. I'm looking at, what is that, a telephone number? What is that? <laughs> but I repented. I repented of my pathetic attitude afterwards as I was thinking, Kim was letting me in on an insight into her heart. She was was sharing with me what brought delight to her. And as I see what brings delight to her, I get to know her better. And I'm going to suggest to you men, this may be a revelation to you, you might want to write this one down. Shopping does have its benefits for marriage because you get to hear the delights of your wife's heart. We didn't buy that rug. But it gave me insights into what she finds a a piece of beauty. Finding out what delights someone and working toward delighting them in that way is something that helps you to win someone's heart. Jeremiah In chapter 2 and verse 2, and I'm going to link this verse with that thought. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember 
the devotion of your youth. And I want you to hear how God describes the initial stages of the relationship that he had with Israel. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, hmm. in a land not sown. In other words, the devotion of the young bride was so great, she would follow her lover, her bridegroom, anywhere. And God says, I remember those days. I remember when you would just follow because you were delighted in me. I remember that. So God describes the relationship that he had with Israel as being that like a bride and groom. It's a beautiful picture. I need to preface this before I go too far. I know that there are people who have gone through the pain, the heartache of divorce. And I'm sure if I invited you up onto this stage and you each got to go and you each could share what that did to you, you could all share just how much it hurt. So I know that you would be the first people to say when a relationship like a marriage relationship turns sour, it's hell on earth. I know you would join me in saying that. So for any married couple, and I guess those who have gone through the pain and humiliation and heartache of divorce, you, would, you could probably go, I think that was, you could on the timeline go, that's where it started to go sour. That right there, that's, that's when it went south, started to go south. As we read through Jeremiah, that's what God is doing. And next week, just to let you know, we're going to talk about what Jeremiah calls God's intention to divorce Israel. So let's just hold that thought and we'll come to that next week. But what we see here in Jeremiah is him conveying to the people the heart of a bridegroom who feels betrayed and hurt by his bride. And for any marriage to work and this is what God is telling the people through the prophet Jeremiah there are things you need to discover for any relationship to be a close relationship that is to have that fellowship that's really sweet and intimate then there's certain things you must discover you must discover it I was um, watching the story of a lady by the name of Sandra Boss a Harvard trained lawyer when she began to work on Wall Street as a business advisor. In her uh, early years of employment, she was making on average $2 million a year. Sandra Boss. She went to uh, a dinner party with some friend, which some friends invited her to, and there was a, a young, charming man there about her age who kind of swept her off her feet. Uh, his name was Clark Rockefeller. And before too long, she fell madly in love with him and she felt at ease with someone with the last name Rockefeller because she thought, at least he's not after my money. And he made no secret of the fact that he never had to work again in his life, that he was a beneficiary of the family trust and so he gave his life to charity work and, and this impressed her greatly. They married, she soon conceived and had a, a daughter by the name of Ray, R-E-I-G-H. And things started to turn sour in the marriage. As things turned sour, uh, they separated. They had to come to an arrangement about how they would organise the custody of their daughter Ray. And, and things, had, things had become really, really heated and hostile. 
by this stage and so she had uh, organised for a private detective to follow her estranged husband and her daughter around because she really didn't trust him. There was just something not right. And the detective was following them when he was walking down the street and suddenly a car pulled up. The detective lost, he was distracted for one reason or another and next thing he sees Clark and his daughter getting in a taxi and gone and he's lost them. And Clark doesn't return Ray and now it's considered one of those odd cases of kidnapping. To cut a long story short, police eventually found him and as they put out the all points bulletin for him, police in California said, actually, we're after this guy too. And it turns out that he was the lead suspect in a double homicide. Turns out his name wasn't Clark at all. And it actually wasn't Rockefeller either. Turns out his name was Simon. And he had completely duped Sandy. In the courtroom, Sandy was asked by Simon's lawyer, how could such a bright woman like you be so easily duped? She said this, it is possible in life to be brilliant and amazing in one's professional life, yet completely stupid when it comes to social and emotional intelligence. It's true. Social and emotional intelligence, especially when it comes to building the stuff that makes for a strong fellowship within a marriage, doesn't come natural. You don't just figure it out along the way. It just, it can, sometimes you figure it out when it's too late, as I'm sure if we lined up all the people who've gone through the pain of divorce, you could probably all share just how painful it was when you realised you could have done things differently. So this is what I'm sure we could those who have gone through the pain of divorce and those who are discovering that marriage isn't as easy as Hollywood makes it out, is this. In order to make it strong and deep, you have to discover something. And what is it you have to discover? You have to discover what the one that you're married to likes and doesn't like. And then hopefully you work on the likes and avoid the don't likes. So when your wife says to you, I don't like that you leave your things lying around. If you love your wife, you won't leave your things lying around. And so on. And I mentioned that verse before about Jeremiah being told by God, remind them of the covenant that they formed with me. Because in the covenant, God gave, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. This is what I want you to do, this is what I don't want you to do. And we can read that as a set of rules. Or we can read it, as a bridegroom and a bride getting to know each other and God giving the recipe for love. Because when you love someone, you want to do what makes them happy. You want to. Hear the words of this covenant. This is Jeremiah 11, which talks about these, these issues in Jeremiah 11. And speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant. So Jeremiah is about to remind them of the covenant that they had formed with God. The, the closest thing we have to a covenant today is actually marriage. There's really nothing else in society that bears any resemblance to a covenant biblically than marriage. What is often called a covenant when it comes to buying a house and you have to, you know, there's a covenant on the land and all the rest of it, is actually just a contract. 
Understanding that a covenant has rules, understanding that a covenant has rights and wrongs, understanding that a covenant has boundaries, we understand that without that, you cannot have a strong relationship with someone. You just can't. And so in a, in a marriage relationship, these words should never be used because it just kind of reveals that you don't get what boundaries are about. And the words are, don't you trust me? Because quite frankly, why should anyone trust you, including your spouse? Now, you might be coming up with some answers to that. And it could be because I've demonstrated that I'm trustworthy. And that's probably about the only reasonable answer you can give. But if your wife says, I don't want you having lunch with her on your own. And for you to respond, well, don't you trust me? Is completely missing the point. So a covenant is different to a contract. It's not... When you, when you read the old covenant, the laws that God gave, you can think, oh man, so... And we confuse this word law and legalism as if they're the same thing. And they're not. God gives laws because he's giving boundaries for how God's people were to love him. And as he does it, even in chapter 11 of Jeremiah, which is talking about here the words of this covenant, he reminds them, this is because of my steadfast love for you. So as we're, we're looking at this, we need to understand what a covenant really is. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD, audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Jeremiah Part 193 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the lesson for us today is that Christ has made a way for people to now come into a new covenant with God in which we can delight in His love and He in ours. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.